This episode of Silent Giants is brought to you by Ali. Ali, powered by Verizon locations, are developed by Verizon, the world's leading technology company. In collaboration with Ali, a membership-only community workspace for creators, each location is a community curated and powered by the emerging technologies and thought leadership of Verizon. With Ali, Verizon is bridging the gap between startup and corporation by helping the community workspace build next-level ecosystems with entrepreneurs. And now, onto my interview with Calmatic. The next day, he had a show with Billy Ray Cyrus, so we had a day off, and he went to go perform in front of like 100,000 people. He performed Old Town Road for the first time, and he came back to set the next day with a blunt in his mouth, sunglasses on, hat cocked to the side. Yeah, yeah, check it out. I'm your host, Corey Cambridge. Uh, yeah. Everybody tuning in, you invited, you invited. No matter what mood you in, get excited, get excited. Everybody love the music, let me tell you how they do it. Whether writer or an agent, let me tell you how they made it. You are now talking to a silent giant. Wanna walk in their shoes, silent giants. Wanna study they moves, silent giants. Wanna know what they do, silent giants. Silent giants, y'all. <laughs> Our special guest this episode is Calmatic, director of the music video for Lil Nas X's blockbuster song, Old Town Road. Calmatic is a native of Los Angeles, California, who first got his taste of the entertainment business by becoming a rapper and music producer himself. A man of many talents, he then began to expand his creative portfolio by doing graphic design, photography, and directing music videos for other artists. He recently took home the Video Music Award for Best Direction for Lil Nas X's hit music video for a smash single, Old Town Road. In this interview, we get into his upbringing in LA, the death of Nipsey Hussle and the impact it left on Los Angeles. We chat about his rap career and how it led him to becoming a film director. And of course, we get into the makings of his VMA award-winning video for Old Town Road. Without further ado, let me introduce you to the film director, graphic designer, photographer, my friend, the silent giant, Calmatic. Yo, Cal, what up, man? Oh, shit, what up, man? I know you going to start off like that. <laughs> What's up, man? How you, How you doing? doing, dog? Man, I'm good, man. I feel like I'm looking at the stretched out version of myself, man. <laughs> <laughs> that's what she. That's what my, my wife always say whenever it's like another black man with a beard and a, and a big smile. Well, I, I feel like we come from the same part of the motherland. <laughs> yeah, man. Like, like West, I don't know where my genetics come from yeah, in yeah, Africa, yeah, yeah. but I feel like everyone told me it comes from like West Africa. Yep. Yeah, same for you. That. I mean, I don't know. I I ain't done my um my ancestry uh background. I yet. know, I know. Yeah, my um my wife she not she she not messing with the government and they conspiracies when it comes to the the DNA joints. Yeah, so, I don't so know how met. much I believe it either. <laughs> but I feel like I'm at some playing, point, man. whenever whatever I hear is that we're from like West Africa. Like yeah. I get like, is it Guyanese? That's pronounced. Yeah, I Ghanaian, I, Guyanese. I think so. I'm Shows Ghanaian. like my lack of culture. Yeah, man. yeah, my dad. When we when we were younger, um, we would just we would drive around, and every time a Nigerian person would see my pops, they would be like, "Oh, like where are you from? Like, what's up?" And he'd just be like, "I'm from L.A., man. Sorry, man. Are you from here? Yeah, we born and raised, bro. Dude, born what's it? Raised. What's it like growing up in L.A.? Man, that's a good question. I don't think anyone's ever asked me what is it like growing up here. Um, I mean, I feel like it's just like any other place, except there's like a lot of like. Um, I guess the proximity between like the hood and Hollywood is like always present. You know okay. what I'm saying? Like growing up, it's in LA. It's nothing to see like 
a celebrity on a, on a on a regular basis. Like I remember, you know, running into like Snoop Dogg, you know, going to the liquor store or like seeing Ice Cube like drive past my elementary school because his grandmother lived over there. Or you know, you just like you know, even though we 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 come from the hood, there was always like a sense of like luxury and um, you know. Uh, the, the 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 Hollywood lifestyle was always present. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, depending on where you stand in South Central, if you look up in the hills, like you can see the Hollywood sign. So, like, it's like a constant reminder that there's something bigger out there, and it's not that far. You know, it's it's 20 minutes away on a freeway. You know what I'm saying? Versus yeah. like, you know, living somewhere else. I feel like that Hollywood dream is way further away. So, I don't know. I just feel like you just you just always had so many references and aspirations of like how to live life different I'm, lifestyles i'm a, i'm an east coast dude so like when you know when nipsey sally passed away yeah. um and you were mentioning that a lot of celebrities like you know it's like this mesh between hollywood and your life like the hood yep. you come from yeah let's say for example if uh when Biggie passed away yeah uh, here in los angeles yeah it changed the way that new yorkers moved in la Oh, I see you know what saying. I mean? Like that yeah. that moment changed kind of the culture of how New Yorkers moved out here or thought about LA or being out here. Well, the thing about when Nipsey passed away, I think when it when it initially happened, like everyone was on alert because it's like literally the worst thing that could possibly happen, not only for, you know, people in Los Angeles, but people in a specific neighborhood. It's like the worst thing to happen. It's like, you know what I'm saying? So no one knew what happened. So everyone's like, yo, you got to be careful. Like, you know, everyone's out, whatever. You know what I'm saying? But I think once, you know, everyone found out what happened in the circumstances, I think um, it made everyone kind of self-reflect. And I think in a, in, in a weird, bizarre way, it... It, it allowed people to focus more on Nipsey's legacy versus like the actual, you know, happening of or, or happening of his murder. You yeah. know what I'm saying? And so I think that's kind of a, a weird blessing in disguise where it's almost like, you know, people in my community, we were always constantly, I think over the last few years, we've constantly been searching for inspiration and motivation and the, 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 the information that we needed to, um, to, you know, rise above and, and maintain our gentrifying neighborhood. And it was like, man, what can we do? Like, do we need to start this business? Do we need to blah, blah, blah. And I think, you know, Nipsey was always on that page, but his his voice wasn't as loud as it as it was after he passed away. So it's almost like as soon as he passed, immediately the people of the neighborhood got, you know, it's almost like someone downloaded a ton of information into all of our brains. Yeah. And so now we're using the information that he's been giving us this whole time. And now we're moving forward with that mentality, which I think is which I think wouldn't have happened as fast if he didn't pass away. You know what I'm saying? So I think if anything, now that we, you know, we woke up and we, you know, realized our potential, um, everyone's eager to put it into place, to put what they learned from Nipsey into into action. There's so many people starting clothing lines. There's so many people starting um, um like investment groups you know what i mean like there's so many people trying to start small businesses and i feel like that's a testament to you know his legacy and and um and you know people trying to like up maintain that 
Uh, I want to take it back to <clears throat> you mentioned your father uh, is from here as well. Yeah. Um, uh, what does he do or your mother do for a living? So uh, my mom and dad, they both work. My dad works at a at a, at a university and my mother um, works at a, at a hospital. But I think their side hustles slash their hobbies are what are really what define them. Um, my mother is a beautician. She, you know, does hair. She's been doing hair since she was 14. And, you know, she has a... Uh, a a very specific group of clientele that she's been, you know, doing their hair for like shit, literally like 30, 40 years. And, um, you know, thought those are, those are some of her best friends. And, you know, on on the weekends and during the week, sometimes you go to her house and there's always like different people getting their hair done. So it's like a independent salon, you know, inside of a home. And, um, you know, just through that, like, you know, over time I've, 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 experience different types of personalities and heard all kinds of stories and it's almost like living in a beauty salon you know what i'm saying so um my mother is a very uh help helpful person and she loves to you know make people feel comfortable and make people look good and you know just um just has like a immense amount of servitude inside of her um, my, my, I grew up. My mother's a hairstylist too. So you already so know what it is. I, I grew up in a hair salon. She I, braid hair. I, I, I say what? Did she braid hair? No, no, no. So she did like color relaxers, oh, okay, all yeah. of the other yeah. stuff besides braiding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I that experience of having my mother being a cosmetologist really shaped me. Yeah. But I'm interested in like, how did that shape you as a as a human? Like I said, I think it just I think just like literally like. So every weekend, my mom was always braiding somebody's hair. And you know, when you braid people's hair, it takes like seven hours, hours eight hours, hours, sometimes two days. And so, you know, it will always be like, you know, I wake up in the morning and someone would be in the living room getting their hair braided. And like, you know, just being able to hear her, uh, my mom and whoever the client was have different conversations about different things. And then whoever whoever was next in line would come over and they might bring their kids and me and the kids would play. And it's just like a like a, a, a evolving door, just different personalities and different stories. And I think over the, over the years, I think I just be I think it kind of helped me become like a good um listener but like i feel like it's a certain type of listening where i'm like listening on the low and just like you know got a got an ear you know open for just like not cool stories and cool like and like i don't want to say like uh i don't want to say like provocative conversation but just like you know listening being a kid and listening to like adult to grown folks talk you know that shit is like very like exciting you know what i'm saying so i think i've kind of developed this way of like always searching for something cool in conversation always you know listening for something that's like that stands out because i i feel like it's um i'm really interested in like birth order and how people are born and how they're placed in life and yeah, how that has yeah. an effect on them yeah like it's almost like when uh michael jackson became michael jackson because he was like what the seventh born of like nine children mm-hmm. so you're competing against as a seventh child you're competing yeah. against the you know the oldest child you could be yep. against, against Jackie when he's dancing yeah right which elevates your skill but yep. I feel like being raised in a hair salon like allowed me to have elevated social skills or being like mm. elevated to have empathy for like how often at eight years old are you hearing grown women issues yep and see I, it's funny because I I talk to people all the time like my whole theory about whether or not people uh have enough references on, on what's going on in the world and they and, and are aware of what's going on in the world. I, and I say, man, people need to listen to podcasts. I feel like if you listen to podcasts, whether it be some of my favorites like The Read or um, 
Joe Budden podcast, Love whatever. Joe. You know what I'm saying? Like you hear people, like you hear people's stories, and you hear people's you 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 develop a, a compassion for people and and feel empathy for what they go through, and I feel like that's kind of what I was doing when I was at the when I was you know when people came over and got their hair done. Like yeah. I heard, I, I've I've heard those conversations where my mom's clients were crying over dudes or or having deep conversations about life, and it has allowed me to develop a um, like you said like a sense of you know empathy for everyone's struggle and everyone's story and you know how about your father his side hustle um so my pops is a uh he's a jazz musician and he played the trumpet and he's just a jazz enthusiast so he just loves music he loves jazz and funk and you know he you know any if you go to the house right now he's probably in the back room playing the trumpet um, playing to like different artists, playing over like you know Parliament Funkadelic, playing over um, you know uh, Roy Ayers and anything like that. And I just I think from him, um, I just I just got my love for music and like special music. You know what I mean? Not just like oh regular music, but just like very soulful chord progressions and like crazy like. You know, I don't even know how to explain it, but it's just that 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 funk, that like soul, that like that like weird like sensation you get when like there's a crazy chord change and there's a certain octave that the singer hits. Like you know what I mean? Like he taught me how to appreciate the best parts of music, mm. and I think I I use that to this day in my craft for sure. Um, what was your first love creatively? Was it in film or was it uh, with music? Uh, I would say it's definitely within music. Um, like I think, cause I think the film, the film thing is just like a, uh, a branch from my music, you know, career. Um, you know, growing up, like I was always into music and I was always, you know, breaking down, like looking in the, in the CDs and reading the lyrics and looking at the producers and, you know, all the credits and who played the piano and all that good stuff. And I was just really eager to do my own thing. And so, um, it kind of started off with just a passion for rapping. Like I really like started like writing rhymes and then a friend of mine in high school slid me like a Fruity Loops CD-ROM. And now I'm like, I want to write raps, but now I need to like make the beats so that I can rap over them. And then that just kind of turned into a whole thing once like people like Knife Wonder and Kanye West, you know, became a little bit more mainstream. I just wanted to be the next version of that. So, I mean, even to this day, like, even though I don't really make music, I feel like I would still say I love music more than film. Yeah. You know, like I just, all I, all I care about is music and just like breaking it down, talking about it, criticizing it, like, you know, analyzing it, whatever. I, I love it. Well, I, I had the chance to interview DJ Clark Kent, and he said something very okay. interesting to me, where he was like, "I'm a DJ in everything that I do." Yeah, right. You might see me like design a sneaker, yeah, but I'm a DJ that designed a sneaker. You might yep. see me A and R, but I'm a DJ yep. that like A and R's records. Like yep. that's where like the base of who he is at his core. That makes sense. That like influences him and everything else. That allows yep. him to actually have a different perspective because mm-hmm. his approach is different. I've always mm-hmm. been like, I'm a rapper. Who's a podcaster? Yep, hundred percent. You know what I mean? As I feel, I feel like I'm a rapper that that I feel like I'm a rapper that makes beats. I feel like I'm a rapper that that edits. You know what I mean? Because when I edit my own videos, I edit. I, I take pride in editing, and I try to edit the same way MF Doom raps. Yeah, or the same way Jay Dilla raps. Or like the way that Jay Dilla's hi hats are like slightly off. Yeah, that's how my edits are. My edits are never mm. to the beat. They're just like slightly before or yeah, slightly, slightly after. after. Yeah, you know what I mean? It's that. That that latency that that like 
that like offness that's still on in our eyes. You know what I'm saying? So yeah, that, I'm glad you said that because I'm about to start using that. That's my <laughs> yeah. new. Yeah, I don't know if I'm a rapper or a producer that makes film, but I'm I'm a musician that uh, I'm a hip hop head. Right, that, you're you're, that, you're making film through the lens yeah. of a hip hop head, mm-hmm, for uh, sure. Uh, so, uh, how long did did you pursue like a path in music uh, as a rapper? Man, damn, that's a good question, man. Um, I think so or, 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 or did it like, ever stop? No, it stopped. It's for sure <laughs> stopped. So, so basically, all right. So, I started rap. I started like li- I got literally wrote my first rhyme in like 2004, and then I started like rapping with some friends in high school, but we never put anything out. And it wasn't until, so at that point I was rapping like to my, I was privately rapping and then I started making beats, but then I felt more comfortable putting my beats out there. Okay. So I started actually making connections with other artists via, via my beats and my production. And then once I got comfortable in that aspect, then I started rapping out loud. You know what I'm saying? So I say from like 2006, 2005, into 2005 to about 2008 was my rap career and okay. my music career and over those years like i put out a, i put out a mixtape I, I i had multiple placements on different rappers in la's and you know albums and mixtapes so it was fairly successful like i i feel like if i would have continued i would i would have eventually got signed at some point who knows where i would have been or what kind of artist i would eventually became but um you, you know i think after a while you know, during that blog era, I feel like the it kind of got saturated, and I got really discouraged. And um, and at the same time, I was doing you know graphic design and film and photography, so I just was seeing success in that, and so I just continued on that path. Um, it's like life's like life intelligence. Mm. Like life intelligence is really, really important. I feel like some people don't know. Uh, it's almost like when Ali, you know, even though he's the, the greatest of all time, he fought too long. Yeah, yeah, You know what yeah, I'm saying? Yeah, he didn't yeah. know like when to bow out or like seeing yeah, Jordan, yeah. though I love Jordan. Yeah. Seeing him in like the, the Wizards, Wizards 23 jersey was <laughs> yeah. like, come on, fam. I don't want to see yeah, you like I that. No, yeah. Um, when did you know, like internally, like I'm going to switch over and pivot into another career? Well, it, I think like, I think at the time, which is like oh seven oh eight, it was like the it was like the influx of like the blog culture, right? Where you know you had all these blogs, two dope, two dope boys, boys, and and not hip, right hip hop game dot com, yep. and like all those things were like hip hop dx, like those were the th- that was like the the sign of being on, but like it was really hard to get to those platforms without having to do certain things and not like not like anything's negative but just like being social and like sending emails and going to events and talking to people and like at the time I just wasn't really into that and I just kind of even even though I think that it was based on the person I was at the time and looking back I probably was you know insecure and and scared I just feel like at that time it just it just wasn't in my personality and my in my energy to like put myself out there in that type of way. Like I thought it should have been a lot easier. And I realized doing my music and doing my graphic design and doing my photography it was easier for me. It was easy to get in any room. So now, you know, you know, I don't have to compete with a million photographers because I'm the only person I'm the only photographer they know I'm the only graphic designer that they that that's in South Central you know what I'm saying right. so it's like 
my value is 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 uh was greater in that in that lane and so i think i felt more comfortable with that and so i just like you know embrace that and Deep down inside, I'm like, man, I'm still better than all these rappers. That's man. what I, I still, be thinking that I'm too, dog. You know, so <laughs> a, a sidebar, like there is a group. Uh, it's so funny because there's so many people in the, indus- in the industry that used to rap. Yeah, and I feel like that's just a tale of our of our generation. But, um, like there's a guy named Tunji. He's a uh, Tunji. Yeah, yeah, he's an A and R at. Uh, I mean, he's like one of the top A and R's at RCA and not RCA now. He's is it like, RCA now? He moved to RCA and has like a vice president. Do you know job. Archie? Yeah, I know Archie. Oh, that's my dude. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I just text Archie. You know, like, yeah, yeah. So, but like, but like, you know, back when I used to film, like, I have footage of Tunji opening up for Kendrick. Archie, Archie told me when the first time I met Archie in New <laughs> yeah. York, he was like. Yo, you remind me of this dude Tunji. Yeah, yeah, like, yo, yeah. He's nice though. Yeah, yeah. People don't know that. <laughs> and, there's, and there's like a there's a bunch of like there's a producer named um, Rick Bricks who used to be part of THC, and he produced like a bunch of Kendrick stuff. And he is one of the best rappers I know. And it's just funny because I feel like one day all the people that are behind the scenes that came that that used to rap, I feel like we should just put out a big posse cut dude. and just like and just get off and just like spit go like hella hard, do a video for it and like go, <laughs> like use all of our resources from our day jobs to like make the dopest. Which we have ever. all the resources. That's what I'm saying. Like we can make a video. We can get into Tunji. We you know what I mean we can go crazy with it. So it's just I think that's like one of the like I think one day I want to eventually do that and just like troll the whole game real quick. That that's the thing, Cal. I I moved to New York City to pursue a career in, in rap and I don't know if you feel the same way about this. Uh, I moved to pursue a career in in rap, but I found that like when you have the skill sets of like doing photography or graphic design, or for me, my skill set in podcasting, yeah. I learned that it was easier to maneuver when you coming from a perspective of giving. Yeah. I feel like with rap, it was just like, yo, it's me. Like, get me on your blog. Yeah. Like, it was the way that relationships happen yep. weren't. Uh, you provided a service. A service. Yep. Yes. I feel like whenever yeah. you provided a service, people yeah. always wanted to tend to have you around. Yep. It's More. funny because my wife, she she's an actress and she always tells me when you go into like an audition, the the goal the goal is to not go in there like you're, you know, um, you know, trying to make them happy or or are you just thinking about you? Your goal should be to go in there and and provide a service like they need a, a a role fulfilled like you're there to help them yeah and i think that energy kind of um i think people pick up on that and they just want to be around and they because i mean obviously you know if you're doing a podcast or you're doing photography they want a picture they want a beat they want they want you to film them in the studio you know what i mean so i think you end up people start understanding your value um a lot faster than if you're like yo put me on a song you know like yeah yeah like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, I, and also i don't want to be that person as no, well no like i want you to come to me and tell me you want me on a song and and, and happily want me around yeah like, like, and i want to happily see you yeah like hey yeah. man yo did you enjoy those pictures yeah. yo, enjoy that interview great yeah like it, it allows yeah. you to just i think that's the one thing that took me a long time to learn that new york taught me it was just like yo don't come in like it's not about you at all it's about yeah. like it's always about making other people look good, even when it is you in the in the front. Mm-hmm. It's always about mm-hmm. the other people. Mm-hmm. I, I want to get into your your career in film, and so like, how how did that pivot happen into you being a film director? Well, like, so so I was doing music, and at the same time, you know, I I've always been into like computer tech techie type of stuff. So you know, I was doing graphic design. I was a graphic design major in college. 
Um, and where'd, you, so, where'd you go? I'm sorry. Cal State Northridge. Okay. Yeah, All right. I didn't graduate though. I was okay. Me, me, I went to VCU. I didn't graduate either. Okay, cool. Yeah. I was that means there. we're gifted. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> we had other plans, man. And so, um, so. Um, I was I was around rappers all the time, so I would be the tech person for the rappers. I would be the one designing their MySpace page using HTML. I would be making flash banners. I would be uh, you know, I would uh do all the gra- like the album covers. Like there's a rapper like Dom Kennedy, yeah. Casey Veggies. Like yeah. I did all of their first album covers. You oh, know get what I'm out! Saying? Yeah, on like before I even rapped. You know what I'm saying? And then um. And then I, uh, me and my partner, we bought a camera, like a little small, you know, digital camera so we can start doing photo shoots and make a business out of it. So we're like, you know, the one stop shop for artists. If you need an album cover, a flyer, you know, a poster, whatever, like we'll do the photo shoot. We'll, you know, do the graphic design, give you a logo, all that cool stuff. And so that's kind of what I became known for um, amongst all the rappers. And then... Long story longer, one day someone broke into my crib and they stole all my equipment. And, you know, I was devastated, but I realized that we had renter's insurance. And so, you know, we just did a bunch of trickery renter insurance things. And instead of getting, um, you know, my Canon Rebel, that was like $300. I told, I, told the, my, I told my mom that I had a Canon 7D that had just came out. Instead of telling her I had a Dell that couldn't even hold a charge, I told her I had a brand new MacBook Pro, Pro 17 inch, <laughs> you know what I'm saying, with extra hard drive space, you know what I'm saying? And so now when I go back to my friends in the studio, instead of taking pictures, I'm taking, I'm doing video. So now I'm going all over the city, all these open mics that I used to go to as a rapper, but now I'm filming people and I'm filming rappers freestyle. I'm filming Kendrick in the studio. I'm filming, you know, Anderson, Anderson Pack perform at like an open mic in front of 10 people. Like I'm just like developing all these relationships, providing a service, you know, giving this footage to these, you know, independent artists. And then one day, you know, um, damn, my bad. And, and then And then one day, you know, you look up and... Um, you were like, okay, so I guess it's time to make a music video. And so, you know, um, one of the people that, uh, one of the groups that I used to hang out with the most when I did music was these kids that I grew up with called Overdose. And, you know, it was strictly a music thing. I was coming in as a producer, as a rapper, and we had known each other for years, but I would go over their house every day, make beats, rap, whatever. And so, you know, uh, once I got the video camera and went to their house, it was like, all right, let's shoot a video. And so like literally over the course of like a couple of summers, every single day, I would just go over there and we would just like film a scene for a video. We would go out and like experiment. We would like, like, let's, let's do this. Let's, let's see if you can like jump off the roof and then make it look like we're flying. Like, let's go, let's do all this, you know, all these weird, um, you know, visual effects that I don't even know, you know, where to begin to to accomplish this. But then I go on like uh, I go on YouTube and I look up tutorials on like how to do this type of effect. And I would not do it properly. But in that trial and error phase, I developed my own style. So kind of going back to like my influence on music. It's, it's like looking at it like the funk or like you look at like Parliament and Funkadelic. It's like their music isn't perfect, but it's but it's right. You know, it's sloppy, but it's like perfect. You know, you know yeah. what I mean? So it's like I just kind of developed this like wacky, funky, like texture to my videos that people, you know, uh, were drawn to. And then the rest is history. Yeah. I feel like how did you was there anyone in the world of film that 
you were like, if I take a little bit of what they're doing, a little bit of what they're doing, a little bit of what they're doing, like who inspired you creatively in that world? Or was it truly just like, I just kind of inspired myself as like trial and error experience? Well, I think at that time, there really wasn't any, any, uh, any influences film wise. I mean, I've always been a fan of music videos, whether it be, um, you know, Buster Rhymes, Missy Elliott, that kind of stuff. But I think at the time I wasn't really thinking about that. I was just like, I was, I think I was just trying to challenge myself and just do some weird stuff at the time, even though he wasn't really doing videos, I was really inspired by Tyler, the creator Mm -hmm. and his energy and just like his like freedom of, of creativity you know, he was one of the people that I was filming back then as well, just kind of being like a weird kid skating around Ladera Heights. You know what I'm saying? Like I would pull up on him and just film him and his friends uh, before they even started doing music. And I think, you know, he had a um, he had a blog where he would just post these cool pictures and like these weird like photoshopped, you know, logos. And I think I just wanted to like, you know, kind of create in that same vein. So I don't know. I think back then I didn't have anything but now that you know in hindsight I think ultimately um what inspires me now is it's somewhere between Spike Lee and Spike Jones right mm-hmm. and it's funny that both their names are Spike but I just feel like um I love how Spike Lee makes uh makes great makes the uh, I guess like real stories feel surreal and then, Ooh, that's a, that's a great way. And then it. Spike Jones makes surreal stories feel real. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. <laughs> so you got a movie like her, which is like some surreal shit, but like he grounded it into like a regular story. You know what I'm saying? Or a, or a story like uh, be, being John Malkovich, or um, uh, you know, just uh, where the wild things are. They're crazy, you know, fantasies, but he makes them feel like they're just basic stories. And then you got some, you got, you know, Spike Lee, you got to do the right thing. You know, you got Malcolm X, you know, all these movies that he makes them uh, like they're real stories, but he elevates the energy and the emotions to make them feel surreal. So I feel like the yin and the yang when it comes to them. Also, like, timing is everything. But yeah. I feel like, yeah. Uh, how do you think that that shift in moving into content helped your career? Man, so I think it's crazy. I think like I think especially in LA, like I feel like there's always a trend, right? So like, and I, and I'm sure it can go way back to like the '90s, but we could start in like 2005, right? I feel like in 2005, that's when Kanye and Pharrell were popping, and like literally that summer, everybody wanted to be a skater. Like everybody was skating, had skinny jeans, vans. Then the next summer, everyone wanted to be a rapper. And that's where I started rapping. That's where a bunch of my friends started rapping. And then the next year, everyone was a photographer. And then every girl is a model. And now everyone is a creative director and has their own clothing line. And podcaster. Like, yeah, podcast. Yeah, it's, like, it's always a trend. And like I think, you know, with those trends, like only, you know, a few make it or continue to do it once that trend is over. But um I think at the time, you know, when I was when I was doing my my video, I was like slightly ahead of the curve. And so I got a head start on the that being like an industry norm. When I was making music videos, I didn't know any other music video directors. And by the time I had a bunch of music videos on my on, under my belt, that's when I started to see like the influx of everyone being a photographer and everyone being a videographer or whatever. And I I kept growing and everyone else kept growing, but I was slightly ahead. Mm-hmm. And so I'm I feel so lucky that I came in at the time that I came in because 
if I came into the game now, it would probably I would it would probably be impossible to have. You'd have to wait for the next the next. Yeah, thing. <laughs> yeah. I, I I wouldn't have the career that I have now for sure because even based on the relationships that I had, like you know, knowing you know people like the internet and like Anderson Pack and like those artists that are star worthy to be able to have connections with them and then them be able to naturally grow into superstars to where they can have budgets for budgets for videos and now I'm able to expand my um my career because I'm able to work with you know better and bigger and better budgets like that's a whole other thing too and so you know I think um I think I'm extremely lucky with the timing of things especially now being that you know the way content is and the way streaming is it's like a perfect, you know, ramp from the bottom to where we are now, where it's like now sky is the limit. Like there's unlimited possibilities, whether it be film, television, just Netflix, Hulu, whatever. There's so many um, platforms and places for me to get my ideas out now. And I've been able to lay my foundation. You know, luckily I've been able to lay my foundation in a very specific way over the last 10 years. Uh, obviously you're just coming back from the VMA. So this is this is a breakthrough moment, but I wanted to ask before the VMA took place, like, was there a breakthrough moment uh, in your life where you realized like shit just changed? Like one yeah. day it was like this, but yeah. I think for the rest it's going to be like this. Yeah, I, um, I think when I did the video music video for the group Overdose, um, the song called Pasadena, and it was like maybe maybe the fifth video that I, I had ever done. But the four before that weren't good at all. But for some reason, this video, you know, it was probably, I think we shot it in like 2010, 2011. And at the time, there was no one that was independent doing their own videos that had that that type of look. And it was the special effects that I, that we used, the type of shots that I had. Like, I, I remember I bought like a... um. Uh, uh, what do you call it? Like a, a car, a camera mount for a car. Mm-hmm. So I had all these like car scenes that were cool. And it was just like, man, like I think at that moment, that's when I started to realize that I was good at making music videos and people started to recognize me as being good. And, you know, even to this day, people still reference that video. So I feel like that was my, that was my personal like moment of like, I think I'm good at this. Like, this is tight. Like, this is not just like some weird idea that we came up with. This is like really special and like one of the best videos out right now. Uh, how did the opportunity come about to to link up Bull Nas X and, and do Old Town Road? Man, it was just, uh, I mean, normal. like at this point in my career, like what happens is, you know, there's a, there's a protocol when it comes to an artist doing a music video. Uh, you know, they create the song and then they reach out to their label and tell them, all right, we need a music video. And then the music video, I mean, the label has someone called a video commissioner and their job is to go out there and and nego- and, and um, reach out to different directors and creatives and receive treatments of like what they think the video should be. And so I got an email from um, a video commissioner from Columbia and he was like, you know, this is this new song. It's country and trap. Like, what do you think? And I literally responded, is this real? Like, is this a joke? And I never heard of the song. I had no clue what it was. And then I was like, you know, I had actually took a, taken a break from doing videos for my wedding. And this was like my first job back from my honeymoon. And so I was like, you know what? Let me just 
get things going. Let me just like write a treatment for this just so I can get in the flow of things. And then hopefully this can lead to something else later, but let me just get back working. You know what I'm saying? And then um, I wrote the treatment, not thinking that the song was going to be big at all. And then the day I wrote the treatment or the day, the day I sent the treatment was the same day that um, the whole country, uh, uh, country music chart thing happened. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I was like, oh shit, this is actually bigger. This is actually bigger than I thought. And so the original treatment didn't have Billy Ray Cyrus. It didn't have the country aspect. It was just like all in the hood. Like it was like, just like a cowboy from the past coming into the hood and like interacting with the people in the hood. And so they loved it. And then as we continued to like develop the idea, the song was getting bigger and bigger, more controversial. They did the remix. Will Smith said he said he wanted to be in the video. And so now they're like, all right, so we need to rethink your treatment. We need to add this. We need to add Billy Ray Cyrus, blah, 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 blah. And so that's kind of, um, the beginning stages of that and then ultimately you know we shot the video now now in this creative process like who are you speaking with as far as like bouncing ideas off of or saying or doing the revisions man i'm actually i'm actually not talking to not talking to anyone really it was all me and i think that's the kind of that's like kind of the thing that struck me interesting like in, in this whole process is that usually when you're dealing with artists and labels when a song is really big they're they're all they're all like in your head trying to like you know get you to do a specific thing and changing different ideas and and like you know how would they say like too many cooks in the kitchen or yeah, whatever like yeah. that but for some reason on this project i had so much freedom and so i was just really trusting my own instincts and being like this is what i would do i don't know if they would like this but i, I this is how i see it and so i think ultimately like the thing that i was kind of battling with was like do i want to make this like a black video you know what i mean because like to me before i really met Lil nas he seemed like just like any like fun you know random like trap kid from atlanta and so i really wanted to like keep maintain that energy and like you know lean into it you know what i'm saying and so you know when they was like okay can we change this idea like i would change it but i wouldn't make it more universal i would make it more specific you know what i'm saying i would make it more hood and more like like, let's take out this horse scene, but let's make him race a 96 Impala. You know what I'm saying? And and they were just like, yeah, we love it. And I was like, all right, cool. <laughs> yeah. And so it was just one of those things where, like, I think, um, like, I, I really didn't care about how big it was. I just wanted to be very specific to, like, what I felt the song needed and what he needed as an artist. And it just so happened that they allowed me to do it. The way I wanted to do it, and so it was just I'm just I just got lucky, I guess. Uh, what is the protocol for? Obviously, when you have yeah, humongous uh, uh, what's the word? Cameos. Thank you. Yeah, uh, humongous cameos in the video. What is the process of dealing with high level talent and cameos in in videos? Like, how do you get the person to? get on the set or how do you make the connection happen? What is that entire process like? Well, so this video, it was interesting. So I think that actually played a big role in the video being so good is having to adjust to um, all the cameos. So for example, when the song came out and it blew up, Will Smith reached out on Twitter and said, I want to be in the Old Town Road video. And he posted a picture of him from the Wild Wild West video, right? So when I wrote the treatment, they were like, yeah, this is cool, but we need to add Will Smith. He wants to be in the video. So I created that whole sheriff, him getting chased by the sheriff sequence. Mm -hmm. And that sheriff was supposed to be Will Smith initially. And so, you know, maybe like a day before the shoot, Will Smith was like, yo, 
I still want to do it, but we need to film it at my house. I don't want to come anywhere to shoot that scene. And I'm like, damn, like, we got this nice, like, you know, location. Like, I don't know what your backyard looks like. Like, it's not going to feel real if you have to do it in your backyard. Like, you kind of messing us up. And so um, our producer found another location that was near his house. And um, we ended up using that one. And literally, like, two days before the video, Will Smith canceled on us. He said... He's like, yo, I actually got to go to Coachella and like perform with my son. I'm not gonna be able to do the video, and so, so we're just like, fuck, like we don't, we don't know who this. We got all this money allotted for this chase scene, but we don't have an A-list celebrity to fill that role, and it doesn't make sense to just have it be a regular person. Like it has to be special, and so you know, some people at the label got on the call with some kind of, some kind of managers, and and we literally had conversations with, uh, with uh. uh Ellen, The Rock, Kevin Hart, all these A-list celebrities, and they all turned it down. But we reached out to Chris Rock, and he was he was super down for it, man. And so I think that was the biggest blessing in disguise, like Will Smith canceling because Chris Rock just killed it. Like yeah. if it like if it weren't for him, I don't know how good this video would have been. But he just nailed it, man. And he was very accommodating. Like you know, he had a tight schedule, but he came in. Came in, got in costume, came on set. We riffed a couple of little different ideas, and then um, you know, next thing you know, we're filming, and then he left, and and but it was all good. Uh, what was like having Billy Ray on on set? Oh, uh, Billy Ray was cool, man. He was he was just very chill, very humble, very appreciative of like this new, you know, phenomenon, and you know, he was just chilling. And, and also, how did you feel? Like I, I would imagine that in all, when you look at what you would think where your life would go or your career would go the last person that you would have on your video set would be billy ray cyrus like how'd that feel for you in the moment yeah it was cool man i mean i think like billy was super cool i think like it was funny to see his his wife and his daughters because they they both look just like molly cyrus and i, I was like oh shit like this is real like <laughs> then, you know we're just hanging out you know what i mean and then um and then you know I, I was I was on set and like during like there was a scene where i was only filming nas and i was looking for um i was looking for billy ray and I couldn't find him. And I look in the corner in the back and he's he's sitting down in the back corner with my wife. And they're just like having like a deep conversation about life. And he's giving her advice about, you know, life in general. And it was just like, man, Billy's a cool dude, man. He's just really down to earth and just like just like appreciative of all the opportunities. Uh, what was uh, what was Lil Nas X's energy like on set? Did you get the feeling that, you know, sometimes I wonder, um, in the moment, do you realize like the magnitude of how things are, right? Like yeah. sometimes you don't see the magnitude of things, how how they are until it's over. Yeah. Did you get the feeling like working with him that he knew like, yeah, this is going to be pretty dope? Well, I think what's funny is he, um, so the first scene that we ever shot was him coming out of the swap meet, right? And it was a very specific shot where he had to come out and like take his glasses off. And he didn't understand like, you know, in film, you don't have to do it a thousand percent perfect. You can just like, you know, go through the motions and then, you know, let like wait, wait, wait till I say cut before you stop and start over. And he just kept like, you know, like messing up on one little small thing that I couldn't even notice. And he would get frustrated and just like, you know, he was like, man, I don't know if I can do this. He was like super like, you know, nervous. And I was like, man, just calm down. Like just do do it naturally and I'll capture it. You know what I'm saying? And then um, and that was the first day. And then the next day he had a show with Billy Ray Cyrus. So we had a day off and he went to go perform 
in front of like a hundred thousand people. He performed Old Town Road for the first time. And he came back to set the next day with a blunt in his mouth, sunglasses on, hat cocked to the side. Yo, what's up, y'all? Let's get it. You know what I'm saying? And so I think like he wasn't, I think at that point of the video, he hadn't really been, you know, in the public or or, or or hadn't had the spotlight on him in front of everyone since the song had came out. And I think him being on stage, feeling the love from all those people, it gave him all the confidence that mm. he that he's doing the right thing. So it was it's it's just been cool, you know, over the last few months to see his um his confidence grow and his like, you know, his uh his understanding of the industry and and just like I'm excited to see like where he's gonna take it next. Uh, how did you enjoy the reception that the video got? It's crazy, man, because I because I edit my videos and like to be honest, during that whole process of editing, like I end up hating every video before I put it out. And so to be honest, I was really nervous putting the video out. I didn't know if people were gonna like it or not. Like I know that sounds crazy in hindsight, but like at the time I was like, I don't know if people are going to like this. Like, it might just be like a basic video. You know what I'm saying? And then there's that moment when it comes out on Twitter and the comments start to roll in and you start to hear the little mumblings of like, you know, oh, this video is a classic. Oh, Calmatic is a genius. Blah, blah, blah. And I'm just like, okay. What, how did you know that you were going to be nominated for a VMA? Um, I mean, I assumed. Okay, so like this is the whole thing is like last year I was at the VMAs because I was nominated for a video I did with Leon Bridges and mm-hmm. Dej Loaf. And that video was, um, it was called Liberation. And it was like a video like about people being proud of who they are and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And so it was nominated in the category for video with the message. But I knew I wasn't going to win because I was in the same category as This Is America. Okay. So I'm not going to win that. Yeah. Right. You know what I mean? But I had another video, the bubbling video for Anderson Pack. And I thought that that video was really good. And I thought that that should have been nominated for best hip hop video, but it wasn't. So I was there and I was like, I know I'm not going to win, but I'm just glad to be here. And, um, you know, but I remember thinking at the time, like, yo, the only reason why those videos got nominated is because the song is so big and this Anderson Pack song isn't that big. And then fast forward this year, I literally did the video for the biggest song of all time of all time and so <laughs> yeah so it's like so it's like so like I, so I was like I know I'm gonna get at least like a like one nomination you know what I'm saying and um and then when the nominations came out and they had like eight nominations including best editing and best direction that was just like the most like you know the best feeling I could have ever received um you know I feel like after all these years of editing my own shit directing all my videos you know doing you know, all the groundwork for my career, I feel like it was good to be acknowledged on that platform. Well, I have a random question, but when, how does, how does a moon man gets into you? Do they mail it to you? Do yeah, I think they mail it to you. So I guess, um, yeah, I think. Did you get the whole one? Nah, it was a whole, I mean, you got to go to an award show, man. Award shows are not what they cracked up Right, to yeah, be, that's, that's what like, I'm asking. I'm like. It's like a TV show, man. So, I mean, I, I wasn't sitting in the area where, they like take you down like so so they they, they don't um they don't broadcast the professional categories so anything like best editing best visual effects best directing they don't put that on tv so they just tell you like you know at the end of the show like okay they send you an email um and so you know 
they told me and but but little Nas, he, you know, since he won his best song of the year, they took him downstairs and they did like the whole press thing. I wish I could have went down there with them with them, but I wasn't I wasn't in the right seat to yeah. be able to see that. But um I think what they do, like they're gonna mail it to me and like, you know, have my name etched on it and shit. So that should be tight. The last question I, I wanna ask, in every in every podcast interview with this question, um, when you're that little kid and you dream of being that rapper, you dream of being that video director or that actor, you really want to be great. But I think along the way and along your journey, you realize that you have to set, make sacrifices to be great. Mm-hmm. Um, this question was spawned off because I was interviewing Michael Jackson's engineer, a guy named Bruce Wedeen, and he did all every single Michael Jackson song he recorded. Mm. Every single one. There was Shit. not one song he did not record. That's crazy. And Michael didn't sing into the mic in front of him for. That's crazy. And you go into his house and there's Grammys all over the wall. Um, and I'm looking at this and I'm like, wow, all these plaques and Grammys. I'm thinking to myself, you've sacrificed a lot to achieve what you've achieved. Uh, Cal, what have you sacrificed um, to achieve what you've achieved? You know what, man? I think, I think the beauty of my journey so far is that I didn't have to sacrifice anything because I've had support from all the people that are around me. You know what I mean? Like, I don't, I don't, I don't feel like there was anything that I didn't, that I lost. You know what I mean? I don't, I, I literally, I can't think of one thing. Like, there's like, I, I have a great relationship with my family. I, I have a great relationship with my, my wife and my friends and you know i think the beauty is like all my friends and everyone i surround myself is creative so we just kind of live in a constant state of creating you know and and i don't i don't know man i don't know what that answer is like i think i i think i'm happy to say that i haven't sacrificed anything and i don't think i need to sacrifice anything i feel like the way the world is set up now you know sacrificing things to get to reach your dreams are are it could be a thing of the past, you know what I'm saying? I think if anything, like, um, you know, I'm gonna say my education, but like that don't really, I don't feel like I, I feel like I have more education than I'm not in school, you know what I mean? So I don't know, man. I haven't sacrificed anything, and I don't plan on it. I feel like you know, being a creative person is more uh, acceptable in the, in this era. And it's more, and you, there, there's more things that accommodate that type of lifestyle. And so I feel like I've only gained from being a creative. I've only, I've only added things. I haven't gotten rid of anything. Mm. <laughs> Calmatic, thank you so much for having me, man. Nah, and no it, worries, man. I'm thank fresh you. off the plane. <laughs> nah, man, I LA know, man. And you got I the NY stuff on still, man. You straight from a Yankees game, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate you taking the time to talk to me today, man. No, like, I appreciate you, You're bro. the dude. Thank appreciate you, man. You. Peace. Thank you all so much for tuning in to another episode of the Silent Giants podcast and to our special guest, Calmatic. This episode was mixed by Mark Bird. Be sure to leave us a nice rating and comment in the Apple Podcast app as well. Lastly, before we get out of here, be sure to check out my other show, OPP. OPP is a TRL of podcasting where we interview America's top podcasters to learn more about them and the dope shows they created. Be sure to hit the link in the description of this episode to check it out. I'm your host, Corey Cambridge. Pa bless. Till next time.